Hello and welcome to Eyes on Research, the podcast that digests the latest scientific innovations in eye research using simple and understandable terms. I am your host, Thales Guimarães, medical doctor and clinician scientist at Northfield's Eye Hospital. Welcome to another episode of this podcast. I hope you're having a good day. Today is very sunny, very nice weather here in London, which is not something that you hear me say often. <laughs> so let's make sure that we enjoy our day. Today we'll be talking about phases of drug development and essentially phases of clinical trial, because these are things that overlap, right? Um, and it's a very up-to-date topic. We recently had an explosion of the number of new therapies for a wide variety of diseases, not only eye-related things, but for everything else in the body. And we live in the era of new therapies, right? And technology and science are very, very, uh, are walking at a very fast pace. And we tend to see new treatments coming very soon for a wide variety of previously untreated disease. And it may be something for a common disease like glaucoma or age-related macular degeneration, or something for a disease that, you know, it's orphan essentially, which has no treatment, like, for example, retinitis pigmentosa, or some form of cone dystrophy. Now, one of the questions that we typically get from patients is, okay, um, I come here every year and I don't see new drugs being developed. What should I expect? And the first answer to that, we have to divide that answer in multiple sections, but the first part is that development of new drugs is a long and difficult process. Only one or two compounds in 10,000 actually make it through to being licensed treatments. Let's put that in perspective. So that means that in 5,000 clinical trials testing different medications, only one of those will get to the pharmacy. Only one of those will get approved by the regulatory agencies, right? And one difficult thing is that a potential medicine, which, you know, is promising in one aspect, may be rejected at any point during its development on the basis of safety, effectiveness, or quality grounds. Overall, it takes around 10 to 15 years to, for a new compound to get, you know, from the lab to be, for patients being able to actually use it. So 10 to 15 years. Now, the average time on, you know, taking all of the medications that were approved and getting the average is around 12 years. Now, there are several steps that a medication goes through before it gets approved. The first step is discovery, right? And typically, you know, researchers discover new drugs through new insights into a disease process, right? That allows researchers to design a product to stop or reverse the effects of the disease. So, for example, things like, is there a specific receptor or a specific molecule that's been produced in this disease which we can actually bind to we can actually block its production so these are all things that allow us to have a better understanding of disease mechanisms and try to find out new targets for treatment studies in cells and animal models therefore are crucial first steps and they should not be undervalued 
Now, there's one thing that needs to be said here is that many drugs that we have tested in cell models, in laboratories, they don't work in animals. And there's also another thing of this that many drugs that have been shown to have promising results in animals may not work in humans. So, you know, we, ha we need to be very careful about this, you know, headline of a cure or breakthrough treatment that comes from preclinical research. It's very important, but we need to be very careful of that. Now, many thousands of new chemical compounds are created and testing to identify which ones may have a potential to actually be a breakthrough treatment. And there is a very high dropout rate at this stage. You know, few, fewer than one in a thousand of all the compounds that are made ever progress to being tested in humans. We're talking about the discovery phase, guys, right? So we're not even talking about using this in humans. When it actually has potential, it goes to the first phases of research studies. The first stage being a phase one study. Now, phase one study are the first step in testing a new drug to determine the safety of single doses in a small number of usually healthy volunteers. Now, we do see some studies for all orphan diseases, for example, using new technologies, which are phase 1 slash 2 studies. These are studies in affected individuals already, but uh, most phase 1 studies are usually in a small number of healthy volunteers. And this is a stage that helps researchers understand some aspects of, you know, how the drug works, what is the likely dose that we need to use uh, to achieve the effect that we're trying to find, which we also call dose escalation phase, meaning that the way that we find the, the, uh, the dose that we're using or the dosage of the medication is that we extrapolate this from the animal studies, from the preclinical studies. Now, we actually need to find what dose is the optimal dose for humans, and the only way to find that is by escalating the dose. So we start with a low dose, we then move to an intermediate dose, and afterwards we move to a high dose. What happens in some studies is that the high dose is too much, so the patients may have inflammation or may have uh, unusual side effects, and then we just cut that dose, right? We call that a dose-limiting event. Now, on a phase one, this study takes, you know, may take several months all the way to years. And approximately 70% of the drugs in this stage move to the next phase. Now, this is an estimation, right? We're still not looking at efficacy, although, you know, we are always thinking of efficacy as well. Particularly because this is a long process and we sometimes need to overshoot what we're looking at, right? So, we need to think ahead. We need to plan ahead. Now... Studies then go to a phase two, right? Phase two may have up to several hundred people depending on the commonality of the disease. It may take months to years again, usually takes years because, you know, that's a lot of data and a lot of things that we need to do. And essentially, if the treatment, that's how we think about this, okay? If the treatment proves to be safe in a phase one study, the phase two studies will determine the effectiveness of these drugs in people with the condition, right?
and they typically involve a larger number of people than the phase one studies. Now, these studies may be controlled, which is when you compare that drug with standard treatment or placebo, which you know is essentially dummy form of treatment. It can be double-blinded study, and then we also have randomized trials, right, which is the gold standard in medicine to develop new treatments, which essentially means that participants will be randomly allocated to receive active treatment or placebo. If a study shows effectiveness in a phase two study, and also if the safety is confirmed, because remember, it is safe, we move to a phase two, we are measuring efficacy. However, we're still looking at safety too. We see a lot of drugs that go after phase one and, oh, it's apparently promising. Then we find that those that we're going to use for the phase two, we do the phase two and then some of the safety concerns, which were minor in the phase one because it was less patients, now become a major issue. We have a larger sample size, we're treating more patients. And then we're seeing more inflammation as well. So safety concerns may also appear in phase two studies. And only around a third of medications, you know, move to the next phase, which is a phase three. Now, after you show effectiveness, you conduct a phase three study in a larger, usually a larger group of people. Sometimes many hundreds, sometimes many thousands. It really depends on how common this disease is. So in rare diseases, you may have phase one studies which enroll only 20 participants or 15 participants. And then it goes to a phase two, it rolls a little bit more, it rolls like 40 or 50 participants, and then it goes to a phase three. And then in the phase three, you may be able to enroll more patients. But if something very common, then you can enroll like 100 volunteers in the phase one, then a 200 affected individuals in the phase two, and then in the phase three, you can enroll thousands. These clinical trials usually take place at different locations, although I have seen some phase three studies which were not multicentric, but most take part in several countries and may last for several years. And these studies are the studies that allow researchers to more accurately assess the potential of the new treatment that you're trying to test in a wider range of people. And you also compare that to pre-existing treatments. Something very important is that, you know, and we just had a medication approved under this basis, uh, which is a gene therapy trial. If you have observational research, long-term, prospective, well-conducted and concise observational research happening at the same time, which we call natural history studies, we're essentially trying to measure the progression of the disease. This is actually, the, if it's robust enough, this is actually data that can be used to help in the next stage, which is in the licensing. So whenever we tell patients, you know, uh, observational studies, if you have the profile and if you'd like to help, please do help because observational studies, uh, they will help shape these things as well. Because what we do then is that we compare patients which who have not, had any form of treatment, right? And we compare in the same age group the patients who had treatment. So that helps us a lot in defining the efficacy of these treatments and it's a, it's a way that we can actually prove what we're doing. Now it comes to the next stage which is the licensing. Now licensing is a complicated thing, you know. We also call that marketing authorization. And it depends on if you are in Europe or in the United States, but, you know, there's, there's different names. 
But what essentially happens is that the regulatory authority of that specific place, if we're talking about uh, Europe, we're talking about the EMA, the European Medicine Agencies. If we're talking about England, Scotland and Wales, we're talking about the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, which we call MHRA. And if we're talking about the United States, that's the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Now, they will review all of the clinical data that you have sent to check if first, is it safe enough? Can it be used in a wide range of people with this disease? Is it effective? How can you show that it's effective? Does it meet quality standards for manufacturing? If the regulatory agencies are satisfied, a marketing authorization or license is issued. And this allows the product to be sold by the holder of this license in the regions covered by the regulatory agencies. And what happens is that, you know, sometimes it gets approved in one place and then in the United States usually it gets approved first and then it gets to be used in the Europe a few months or a few years afterwards. Now, you know, licensing is a, is a big thing. I think we just need to quickly talk about this because it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the phases that, you know, takes a little bit of time uh, and you actually need to prove a lot of different things. What happens is for a new drug to get approved, right? So if you have evidence from early tests and clinical research that the drug is safe and effective, the company or the sponsor who has done that clinical trial will send all the information to the regulatory authorities. And what they do is something called new drug application, NDA in short. And what it essentially is, is that it's telling the story of a drug, right? And the purpose of this is to demonstrate that a drug is safe and effective for its intended use in the specific population that was studied in those clinical trials. A drug developer must include everything about a drug, from preclinical data to phase 3 trial data in an NDA, in a new drug approval form, a new drug application form. They must also include reports on now studies, data, and analysis that they have. And, you know, things like what is the proposed labeling, are there any safety updates, what is the drug abuse information, what is the patent information, what is the compliance with institutional review board, and what are the directions for use. After the FDA, for example, gets this new drug approval form, the review team will decide if it's complete. If it's not complete, the review team can refuse to file the new drug approval form. If it's, if it's complete, though, the review team has 6 to 10 months to make a decision on whether to approve the drug or not. So you see, even after, after you file this, it's still a process of almost one year in the worst case scenario, right? However, when the FDA determines that a drug has been shown to be safe, it's necessary to work with the applicant, which is uh, representatives from the sponsors, to develop and refine the prescribed information, which we refer to as labeling. And labeling, you know, objectively describes the basis for approval and how best to use the drugs. So as you can see, it's a long process. You may have heard as well that some specific in clinical trials, and you know, that was the case, for example, for Luxtuna, which had a phase four, 
Lextuna is the gene therapy drug that was approved for a treatment of RPE65 or uh, RPE65-related liver congenital amaurosis, or in other words, liver congenital amaurosis caused by mutations on a gene named RPE65. A phase 4 trial is also known as, you know, a post-marketing surveillance trial or drug monitoring trial. And what is what it is is that you do this trial after the drug gets approved to monitor and assure the long-term safety and effectiveness of that drug, vaccine, or even devices or diagnostic testing. Now, not all trials will have a phase 4, but we do have some trials on phase 4, indeed. Hence, the entire process of developing a drug from preclinical research to all the way to marketing can take approximately 12 to 18 years and may often cost well over a billion. Yeah, you, you, you heard that right, well over a billion. Depending on the type of technology that's being used, for example, gene therapy is very expensive, it may be even more than that. So, it does take quite some time for these drugs to get approved. The good thing is that the advances in technology and science are allowing us to get to places where we have never been to before. So this is very important and, you know, the future is looking really bright. Thank you very much for listening to us today and I hope to see you in the next episode. And by the way, guys, please feel free to support us, follow, share, subscribe. We have... Our website, www.eyesonresearch.org, where you also have the options to support us. It's completely voluntary, but much appreciated. <laughs> and we also have our social media uh, accounts, which we post new videos every week. So you can look us up on the at Eyes on Research. And we have LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram. We post short videos very frequently with new and up-to-date topics. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.